0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. This morning, I wanna talk to you about prayer. I wanna talk to you about prayer. So if you have a Bible, open up to Acts. Uh, chapter, t- uh, chapter one, excuse me. And I, I want to I wanna, uh, talk to you about prayer before you get the answer. I want to talk to you about prayer before you get the answer. How many of you have uh, ever been mad at God? I have recently realized I've, I've come. I've been coming through a season of just being mad at God, and it has made it very hard. Even though I have answers that I, I need God to answer, uh, and 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 things that I, only God knows how to answer, I, I have found myself. I have found it incredibly hard to have prayer prior to the answer. It, it can be incredibly hard to talk to someone and be with someone that you're mad at. Now, he's a big boy. He can take it. And so we had some shouting matches, and mainly I shouted, and he just listened uh, right in this room. And uh, I, I felt, have felt very, very challenged all week. Uh, and convicted in some ways of my own prayerlessness, preparing to to talk to you about prayer and and my own anger towards god, but it, but so maybe some of you can relate if you've ever had a season where you've just been angry at god or or maybe um the the answer that you need is just so daunting that that you can't even fathom how you would start praying for what you need, or <laughs> even sometimes more frustrating is you're not exactly sure what it is you need to be praying for but you know you need something anyone there like I, I there's pieces man like I, I maybe I would know it if I saw it but I just I'm not quite sure but I know God's the only one who can give it to me so I want to talk to you about prayer before the answer because sometimes it's really easy to pray and connect with God and you've gotten that big, exciting breakthrough and you just want to be with God because you just love him because he, he He came through and you're like, this is exciting. God answers prayer. But but when you're on the other side before the answer, it's it's frustrating, right? And it can be demoralizing even and it can be really easy to give up. But I want to talk to you about a critical, critical story in the scripture about what prayer looks like before the answer and, and and talk to you a little bit about what I feel like the Lord is is inviting us into during the the last two weeks of this fast all right so let's read together from acts chapter 1 i'm just going to read verse starting in verse 4 we'll go down to verse 14 it says uh, this, so just some context this is after Jesus is risen from the dead he spends Uh, uh, about 40 days with his disciples before he's taken up into heaven. And, And this is just during one of those conversations they had. It says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they just kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half mile. And when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. And here are the names of those who were present Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all met together. And we're constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So this might be or might not be a familiar passage to you. You might know exactly the context and, and everything, or maybe it's brand new. Uh, but but this, this stood out to me this week, and in fact, if you were with us on Wednesday night, we had our worship and prayer gathering as part of this 21 days of fasting and and prayer. Um, And we had a time of worship and prayer. And you'll remember, we we spent a little time towards the end praying about uh, verse 8 in particular, that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, And something about that just like wouldn't leave me alone the rest of the week and, and, and I felt like God was really putting his finger on that uh, for us as a church, and, and specifically the West Milford campus here. He, that he's specifically putting this uh, on, on my heart and putting this on our radar as, as a church as something we need to really grasp. And I, I, I was just doing a little praying and studying and thinking on it throughout the week. and. And I, I came across this, and, and I thought this was really powerful, about, especially about that verse 1-8. It says, if the Holy Spirit, uh, this is from I.H. Uh, Marshall, Marshall in his commentary on Acts. It says, if, if the Holy Spirit is the divine gift which empowers and guides the church, then the corresponding human attitude towards God is prayer. It is the church. It is as the church prays that it receives the Spirit. Now, okay, great. What's that mean? I want you to see something in, in, this, in this story. A couple things. First, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's victorious. They're like, yes, this is great. And, and I love this. He's been raised from the dead. All this stuff has happened they're starting to realize that this is way more than him restoring an earthly kingdom. Except when he says, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to come, wait in Jerusalem. They say, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still talking about earthly political power here. Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he's like, you're, you're really distracted right now. It's not for you to know times, dates, places. That's, that's for the father to know. Here's what you need to know. Here's what's important for you to know. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I want you to see this because we're a church that believes in, in being on mission, right? We're a church that, that really believes that, that God is calling all people to himself and we need to be witnesses of the gospel. But, but the thing is, is I think we often try and be witnesses of the gospel out of, out of a desire to do the right thing, or, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do now, or I've got to check a box off and, and, and perform and, and do, the, do the thing that it says I'm supposed to do. But I want you to see what Jesus says about how they are to go about sharing the gospel. They don't just do it because they've, they know how to get people in the door or, or get people to say a prayer or anything like that. There's nothing even remotely like that associated with this. Jesus instead says... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And and then you'll be my witnesses. There's something really important here that Jesus communicates to his disciples and i forgive me i am i am I'm almost in some ways like trying to like give you what i'm describing as as i'm as i'm f- like filtering it in my own mind this morning which is a little bit uh not like me uh but there's something that i think we assume a- about following jesus i i think we often assume, especially in the church in America a lot of times, that, that we come into the church and we begin to take on, if we're like, okay, I'm in, I'm going to follow Jesus, what do I do? And we begin to take on, okay, I need to pray, I need to read my Bible, I need to be a part of a life group, I need to serve the community. I need, and these are all good things, none of which are bad, right? And, and, and it can be really healthy for us to just start new habits, But a lot of times, I I think, we have tried to do church in our own strength. We try to do church in our own power. We've tried to just make sure we tick the right boxes or do the things that we see commanded in Scripture. But here's the reality is, everything that you see the church called to do in the New Testament, it makes one assumption. And here's the assumption that it all makes. That you have received power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Before you do anything else in following Jesus, you have to do this first, Jesus says. Wait. I love that. He says, wait. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. Are you all following me right now? Okay. So this is why I come back to to, to this quote that I, I read to you. If the Holy Spirit is the divine gift which empowers and guides the church, the corresponding human attitude towards God is prayer. It is as the church prays that it receives the Spirit. L- let me let me just talk to you about this. If we are going, let me just say it this way. I guess to put it another way. If we're going to do what that Acts 1-8 passage says, receive the Holy Spirit, wait and receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we need to learn how to be a people that pray. Let me say that another way. If we're going to be able to do anything in the Christian life, we're going to need to learn how to pray so that the Holy Spirit can come upon us with power to empower us to do the Christian life that we're setting out to do. Are you with me? Okay. Let, Let me just talk to you about how how biblical this idea is. Let me just show you a few passages of scripture. Rachel, if you can follow me as best you can there. I'm sorry. I'm like, I threw her to the wolves. I was like, hey, I usually use the clicker. Can you just follow me this morning? Look at Luke chapter one, verse 35. I'll have it up on the screen. I want you to see the connection between the Holy Spirit and power. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You know the story, right? We just went through Christmas time. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Get Acts 1.8. Acts we just read Acts 10.38. This is when Peter is, is, is preaching to the first non-Jewish uh, followers of Jesus. He says He's just talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. He's preaching about him. He says, how God anointed him, look at this, with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then he went about doing all good and, all, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Look at Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by, what's it say? The power of the Holy Spirit. That sounds like a pretty standard Christian thing to be doing, right? Being filled with hope and joy. And Paul says you're going to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not through self-will, not through uh, better therapy, not through anything else you could list on there. Not by better self-discipline. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, look at this. Paul describing, this is like an opening line, he's, just, he's talking to the church that he's writing to in Thessalonica. He says, because our gospel, this is the the message of the gospel, because our gospel did not come to you with word only. Not just good teaching, not just the right theology. What did he say? Not only with word only, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit. Y'all following me? A lot of times, and I am guilty of this myself, we, we try and live a gospel life with no power and no Holy Spirit. Do you know that word power in the Greek? It's the word dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamite from. I want you to think of this power as an incredibly crazy explosion. You ever seen TNT or dynamite? Like when they're trying to blast out like rock walls or clear space for highways or mining operations? Uh, You can YouTube anything these days. So go look up like dynamite blowing things up. That's what is being described in the New Testament when they use the word power and the Holy Spirit. Dunamis. Look at Acts 1.8. That's right. Look at bring it back to Acts 1.8. What, what does it say? What does Jesus say to them? You will receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. How many of you feel like you've got like dynamite under your skin from God? Like, just, just honestly, how many are like, there's definitely like dynamite under my skin? Or how many of you are like, are you sure? Me? Maybe a couple other people that are more confident and in their faith and maybe have been following Jesus. I, I think you might have that wrong. You will receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Here's what I want you to understand. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you power to do what you could not previously do. Now, this isn't a magic vending machine. I I want you to understand what I'm saying, okay? This is not a vending machine where you're just, well, I'm going to dial in this from the Holy Spirit, get what I need. Thank you very much. It's not what I'm talking about. But it is true that when you are facing addictions or or relationship issues or emotional issues or, or different things like that that you could not break. Maybe you're the best, most consistent person in, in every meeting and therapy session you could go to. You're doing everything you possibly can and, and maybe you've behavior modified yourself into a better place, but there's still something there that wants to do all of the old stuff, right? Or maybe you have a sickness that's never been dealt with. Or you have just constant anxiety and fear that has never been eradicated. There's something that the Holy Spirit can empower you to do that you cannot do without him. And for some of you, the empowerment of the Spirit means an instant change. And some of you, it empowers you to that slow change process over time that you never could have done on your own. God does it differently with different people. Someone was sharing me with something they were giving up in particular, along with the Daniel fast. And and, and, and we were just praying on Wednesday night for power from the Holy Spirit that they could stick to what God had asked them to give up. Even when we fast, like we don't just, I'm just going to do my best and self-will my way there. It takes power from the Holy Spirit. I really like pizza. Pizza. It takes power from the Holy Spirit to give this stuff up. It takes power from the Holy Spirit when there's sickness and chronic illness that won't go away and needs to be healed. It takes power from the Holy Spirit, dunamis, dynamite, to break off old chains, old ways of living, old sin patterns, addictions, whatever it is. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you could not previously do. And so much more. So he gives you power to, to live, to work, to, to speak... To do things that just you didn't think were possible before. And, and so when you begin to read things like the spiritual gifts lists that are, are, are in Romans and 1 Corinthians and all these places, and you read especially in the New Testament, you've got to understand there's an assumption in every single one of these writings that you are living not on your own power, but on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we really don't bring anything to the table. Myself included, and I went to school for this. Are you hearing me? So let me ask you a question. Is your power on? It's a story of a, of a woman. I, I don't remember her name, but uh, she she lived in Florida during uh, Hurricane Andrew, if you remember when Hurricane Andrew swept through uh, Florida. I think it was a Category 5 storm, horrific damage, just completely leveled entire communities, nothing remaining. Well, this this one woman... She, she lived in one community, and most everything was, was completely destroyed. Her house, thankfully, remained standing. And because of how devastating and overwhelming the damage was, she went weeks living in this home, months even, with no power, no electricity. And she tried to live her life. Thankfully, it's Florida. It generally doesn't get too cold there. But she, she was doing the best she could to live with no power, but it was a shell of a former existence. Until one day, finally, the power company was finally able to get to where she was. And when they got to her house, they discovered there was one little connection that would have taken them a minute to do, and she would have had power the entire time. That's it. Living for months without power, knowing there was just one little connection that needed to be made, and she would have all the power that she could possibly need. Is your power on? There is one little connection in every one of our lives, and it is to the life of the Holy Spirit, to Jesus Himself who sends the Holy Spirit. And when we say yes to that connection, the power gets switched on and you realize I have been living a shell of an existence. And listen, I'm not saying your lives aren't good. I'm not saying there's not awesome things God's already at work doing. But it is clear uh, in the scriptures, and I don't have time to go into this this morning, that when you say yes to the Holy Spirit and you receive the Holy Spirit, there's something different about the way you're living life. Because you're not living out of your old self anymore. You're living truly out of the new self, out of the new creation person that every single one of us is called to be. And then truly, you can say, well, that old person that has all these issues, they're dead. They are buried with Christ. This is what baptism is. They are buried with Christ, and the new creation's been raised to life through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like when Jesus was raised from the dead. Is your power on? Is your power on? I had to ask myself that question this week. Is my power on? And so, this is only halfway through the message, don't worry, I'm, I, it's quick. But, but here, here's my point in talking about all of this. Jesus says to them, don't do anything yet. I know you want to go tell everyone that I'm raised from the dead. I know you, you're thinking about this political kingdom and the restoration of Israel and all this. I know you got all these ideas. He said, don't do anything. He said, wait. Stay in Jerusalem wait wait a lot of us here wait and we go okay so in the meantime I should do and we make this little great little list of all the things we're going to do in the meantime and there's there's nothing else there just wait wait for the promised holy spirit to come wait some of the old church words that were used for this stuff would be to tarry to linger, to to pray through, to not just say, God, can can your Holy Spirit come fill my life and go, okay, nothing happened. I'm going to go about my business. But to continue to wait for his promise. I want to be clear. There's nothing any of us have to do to earn the Holy Spirit coming and filling our lives. Nothing that we can do to earn this. But there is something in us that needs to be surrendered and often God uses waiting in order to teach us that surrender process because we cannot have the Holy Spirit if we are not surrendered to the Holy Spirit. I run into this every single week I feel like. I don't know how messed up the effects of sin are in my life. Even even when I'm not doing anything that is sin. I, I don't have any understanding of the depths of how disconnected I am from God and living in my own self-will and self-power. We don't realize. And so God uses things like waiting to teach us, you've got to get rid of all of this self-will and and doing things in your own strength and self-sufficiency. How many of you love to be in control of things? I love to be in control of things. I want to know the outcomes. I want to have it figured out. I love to do all this. stuff, And that doesn't really work when we're trying to surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Because we're called to wait. And wait. And wait. So we're on this side of the answer. Just like the disciples here in this story. They haven't received the promise yet. They haven't gotten the answer they've been looking for. What do they do? How do they wait and receive the Holy Spirit? What do they do? They pray. They pray. Again, I'll I'll, I'll mention Marshall's quote. It is the church that prays. It's as the church prays that it receives the Spirit. Verses 13 and 14 from what we read, Jesus' followers prayed. It says they went, they left the Mount of Olives, they left where Jesus left, they got his instructions, wait, don't go anywhere. And what's the next thing we find them doing? Okay, well, let's go pray. And it says they prayed, they all were together in an upstairs room of the house where they were staying, and they met together and were constantly united in prayer. Constantly united in prayer. Doesn't put a timetable on it. Doesn't say, just on Sundays, though. Or just when they had time to meet. Or when everything else was done. They constantly devoted themselves to prayer. How many of you feel like you are too busy to pray? I have two kids, like, A three-year-old, she just turned, Harper just turned three yesterday. I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. It's very difficult to find time to pray. (laughs) But I love what Martin Luther says. He says, I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. He said, he's so busy, he can't help but pray. Now, that sounds counterintuitive for those of us who are control freaks, right? No, I've got to get my to-do list done. (laughs) I love that. I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. John Hyde uh, was a missionary to India in the late 1800s, early 1900s. and And he so gave himself to prayer, he became known as Praying Hyde, they called him praying hide, and, and he was overwhelmed by the, the task of, of reaching people for Jesus. He was so overwhelmed by the task. There was so much work to do, similar to, to Martin Luther. He said, I can't do anything but pray. And so he, he started to seek God, and he just began praying, God, would you bring me one person every day that's going to know you and follow you? One person a day is what he said. And, and you know what he would do is he would pray agonizingly all day, and he would not stop praying until he got the answer. You'd think at some point he's like, I should go talk to someone. I should, I should, go, I should, I should go convince someone to follow Jesus here. Instead, he didn't do that. He prayed, and he asked God, And every single day, someone either came to him, approached him, had a question, was seeking God. God was already working, and all he needed to do was pray. And then after a season of one person every single day coming to faith, he said, God, this isn't enough. I know that there are more people that are lost that need you. Now, would you make it two a day? And he began praying for two a day. And said, John, you should get out there and do something about this. Put a strategy or a plan together. He just gave himself to prayer. And, and, and he would see two people every day come to faith in Jesus. And then after a while, guess what he did? No, even worse, he doubled it. God, would you give me four people every day that would follow you? John, this is a really bad strategy. You need to do something different but he had caught a vision of what it meant to be given to prayer, and then the Holy Spirit would be given to him. As he surrendered himself in prayer, he was receiving more and more of the Spirit and more power. He said this, When we keep near to Jesus, it is he who draws souls to himself through us. But he must be lifted up in our lives. That is, we must be crucified with him. It is in the death to self, this inconvenient life of prayer, that we draw near to Jesus. We identify with his death. And people are drawn to himself. There's far too much trying to convince people or have tricks to, to get people to follow Jesus. When Jesus simply said, He's like, hey, don't go out there and start doing this. He said, wait for me. I will give you power by the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be my witnesses. And they knew that that power only came through prayer. Through prayer. This is not convenient. Before I I preach this message, I just want you to know how practically this hits home because I feel like God is doing something in my own life uh, to, to change my life of prayer. And so before I even preach this message, I had to have a conversation with my wife, Jillian, and say, this is going to be inconvenient if God is really calling us to this. It's gonna, and, and I'm not talking about us as the church, I'm talking about my family because we've got little kids. We're tired, guys. I want to sleep. That's all I want to do. I just want to sleep. Those of you who've had young kids know what I'm talking about. This is not convenient or comfortable. But if it's God, there's no other way. There's no other way. Richard Foster says this, he says, to pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. Yeah, come on. If we are unwilling to change, here's what we have to understand. Prayer isn't we're changing the world around us or we're changing God's mind. Things happen when we pray, but the first thing that changes is us. Because it's inconvenient, because we're laying things down, that we've got to surrender. It, it, none of this is is straightforward. But when we pray, we change. And and, and I'll be honest, I, I was like I said, I, I was so angry at God and have been so angry at God, I was actually unwilling to change. And so my prayer life short circuited. I can't afford to let that happen because I need God at work in me and through me. I need power to live this life. We need power to live this life. And so to pray is to change. Francis McGaw, who who wrote a little book about praying hide. He He says this, God wants purity in the very center of the soul. And unless God can have a pure vessel, purified by the fire of the Holy Spirit, he cannot use that vessel. And he is asking you now if you will let him cleanse away part of your very life. God must have a vessel he can use. He's asking you right now. He's he's been asking me this this week. God wants to know if he can cleanse away part of your very life. This is an invitation and a challenge, kind of all rolled up into one. He's inviting you into something deeper, he's inviting you into something more powerful. He's inviting you to something more full of joy. But it costs us something. Mm. Modern uh, prayer leader by the name of Corey Russell, he says, you will only unify with the Holy Spirit to the degree you submit to the Holy Spirit. That rocked me. That rocked me. What's the degree that I'm willing to submit to the Holy Spirit? What's the degree to which you're willing to submit to the Holy Spirit? And, and it's not a, it's, this isn't a shame thing. It's, not a, it's just kind of a reality, right? It's with anything else. If you, if you invest X amount in your, uh, your exercise program or, or your, your expertise in a certain skill or whatever it is, you're going to get that much in return. A mentor of mine, he he, he likes to say, you can have much of God as you want, but no more. As much of God as you want. There's no limit, but you can't have any more than you want. He is not a vending machine. He doesn't just dispense, dispense, dispense. He says, seek me, find me. Jesus even says, seek first my kingdom. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things that you're worried about, they'll be taken care of. They'll be added to you. So on this side of prayer, it, 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 the side of the answer to prayer, prayer is, is costly. It can be inconvenient. It requires and asks something of us. But it's also, I want you to see this, it is, it is unifying. It brings people together, because I'm not asking you to all kind of go and be individuals and do this separately. There's something, when the community decides to choose in to do this together, that's unifying. It strengthens relationships. It strengthens bonds. It, it, it does something in us and through us where we really become family as we seek God together. This is how community, the community and the family of God is born. There's so much joy and fullness that comes out of that seeking. As we consistently go after God and, and are faithful to him, it does something in us. We become people who are uh, less concerned with controlling everything because we've been so changed through prayer. And we're more interested in love. Not conditional love. But we can truly love. And I love this. So, this is their posture. Okay, we got to wait. We don't have the power of the Holy Spirit yet to be witnesses. I know there's a lot of stuff we want to do, there's a lot of things we need to go after. We've got personal issues we've got to get worked out as well, maybe even relational issues. You know, there's all sorts of stories about these disciples being at each other's throats. But they're like, okay, we gotta pray. And we gotta pray together constantly. And this became their job. This became their rhythm. Just like that song we were singing, dang and night, night and day, let incense rise. And I want you to understand, prayer is not just they're saying you know, a bunch of things to God and asking for their needs and praying through their list. They're listening to God. They're worshiping. They're, they're in a space of just waiting on God and being present with God. They're in, in the process of prayer. They're recognizing that they've got issues with each other. They've got to get worked out. So forgiveness is taking place. Healings happen between each other. And thank you, God. And you're bringing us together. And we're waiting on God. And, and, and in this process of prayer, they're being changed just like we get changed through prayer. And they're on this Uh, They don't have an answer yet, but they just still pray. And they're creating this life of consistency, of just being in prayer together before God. And then we read Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And it says this. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in the same place. There's a lot of different translations of that. They were all together in the same place. They were of one accord. It's a car commercial in the Bible. They were all together in one place. And what it means is that this, the word there is, is that they actually were harmoniously unified. That it's actually a musical terminology that's being described here. In the Greek language, there was so much harmony within this community. They have been constantly living this life of prayer. They don't have an answer yet, but it's doing something to them as a people. And it's changing who they are. And it's not just changing who they are individually. It's changing who they are collectively. And they still don't have an answer, but they're loving this life of togetherness before the Lord in prayer. And then it says, and suddenly... they were filled. There was a sound of a violent wind. And fire appeared over all of their heads. And they suddenly began to speak in other languages. And the, the words that they were saying was actually declaring in all of these different languages, and there's a whole theological reason why this is going on connected to the greater story of the Bible but uh, they're speaking in all these languages and all these people outside of where they're st- they're hearing in their own language how do these people know my language and they're hearing about what Jesus has done and the works of God and they've never heard the gospel before and it says 3,000 people were baptized and came to faith that day just because a people were willing to be changed by the Lord through prayer and to meet with God. Now, I'm going to be quite honest. I don't know what it'll look like as we try and seek to wait on God. I don't know if it'll sound like rushing wind. I don't know if there'll be literal fire over our heads. I don't know. Because we're on this side of the answer to prayer. Prayer. but I I, I really want to call us to something, church. What would it look like for you and for I and for us to begin to pray in a way that changes us? What would it look like for us to begin to pray in a way that's inconvenient? What could happen? What might God do with a people that are so given over to him and seeking him? What could happen in our relationships? What could happen in the fullness of our sense of community? What, would, what could happen to the issues that we are dealing with if we gave ourselves to seeking God in prayer together? I really don't know exactly what it'll look like. I I really have no agenda for the outcome of it. All I know is two things. We as a church need to wait to receive the Holy Spirit and power. We, We have nothing. We might as well all go to brunch right now. We need to receive the Holy Spirit and power. Now, this can sound really daunting, so I just want to close with this. I want to empower you with something. It's okay if you feel overwhelmed by this. I feel overwhelmed by this. I told you I'm feeling the weight of this. I've been really heavy with this all week, and I I recognize that there's a cost to this even for me as a leader and a pastor because if, if I'm saying, hey, we've got to change the way we live, and then I don't change, I've got a room full of people going, what the heck? But, but I, what are we, what's the other alternative? So I want to empower you with something. I don't want you to have, if you're saying, okay, I'm in, but this is really overwhelming, and I don't know that I've ever done anything remotely like this. Maybe you've never really spent much time in church even before, and you're like, look, if I remember to pray once a week, it's a miracle, But here's what I want to invite you into, and I hope this empowers you because this is not to shame us to say, I do not, here's what I don't want you to hear. Please hear my heart. I don't want people to hear this morning, I'm not praying enough. I'm never going to encounter God. That's not what I'm saying. There is an invitation for you to meet God in a deeper way than you ever have through prayer. So I want to empower you. Don't take what's called an all or nothing approach. Okay, here's what all or nothing approach is. Oh, I didn't get up early enough. I only have five minutes to pray. I'm just not going to do it because I can't do the whole thing. Or, ah, oh, that was my my time, and you know I didn't do it th- today. So I, I'm just going to start fresh next week. That's what all or nothing. If I don't do it all, I'm doing none of it. Just do the next best thing you can do. I have to learn this a lot with kids. It's really hard because a lot of them, I'm like, ah, like, this is my time in the morning. Why are you getting up early? Go back to sleep. And they're awake. No, I'm hungry. Can I have oatmeal? And then you make oatmeal. No, I wanted peanut butter and jelly on toast. I'm not letting you into my life. It's an off, I'm off my soapbox. But here's my point. I can't have an all or nothing attitude. Otherwise, I will never pray. So give up the all or nothing approach. You have permission to let that go. I hope that empowers you. If you realize, oh, I only have these five minutes, make the next best decision you can and use that five minutes to pray and meet God. Uh, some It's not that you have to spend like eight hours a day. Some of you might be called to say, I think God's calling me to ex- spend some extended time every week or every day in prayer. That's thats up to you. I'm, I'm leaving this to you in some ways. Um, but another great thing to do is to call practice with something called the daily office. The daily office is something that's been used by the church for like two thousand years, and really what it is is it's a pattern of praying in the morning, at noon in the evening. And sometimes there's a fourth time, like late at night, right before you go to bed. And it can be anywhere from five to 15 minutes. Maybe some of you from like an Anglican or a Catholic background might even be familiar with this. But this is a great tool to practice a rhythm of praying in small bites at different moments throughout the day. I'm going to take five minutes in the morning and wait on God. I'm going to take five minutes during my lunch break, and I'm going to read a psalm and just say come Holy Spirit here's here's what I'm after I'm not at uh, quantity I'm at consistency I want us to be consistently praying and seeking God so you are empowered to don't feel overwhelmed by the burden of how am I going to do all this prayer and everything that's required remember it's not us that brings the Holy Spirit there's nothing we can do in this but create regular patterns to meet Him are you with me? Regular patterns to meet him. That's how we pray before the answer. Talk to people in your life groups. Get in a life group if you're not in a life group. Get with a few people and say, can we have a place and a regular time to constantly be in prayer? We, we, we spent last Wednesday in, in prayer and worship and, and I, we actually made the decision, we're gonna do this at both campuses, but the next two Wednesday nights that are still during this fast, we're gonna have the space open from, from like 7 to 9 p.m. for prayer and worship. So come join us again on the next two Wednesday nights if you need to seek God. Oh, I can only stay for an hour. We're not doing the all or nothing thing. Do what you can do. But seek God. From 7 to 9 p.m. 7 to 9 p.m. on Wednesday night. Can we stand? We're going to worship as we close. Holy Spirit, we need you. We, we have heard the command of Jesus this morning. I, I know I have, and I know other, other folks have here too, but we hear the command of Jesus this morning to wait until you come and we receive power. Jesus, we need your power for every area of our life. We need power. Even if there's not necessarily any problems, God, we know we need your power just to be good parents or to be good husbands or good wives or good friends or good employers or good coworkers, good neighbors. We we just need your power, period. And so we become before you now, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. We just commit right now to seeking you. Just keep your eyes closed in this moment. If you're, if you're feeling like, okay, I am I need to make a commitment to consistently seek God for, for more of his power. Something, something, maybe I don't even know what it is, but I need to do something differently on this side of the answer to my prayer. If that was you, would you just put your hand up? If you're just saying, there's something I'm, I'm called to differently in my prayer life on this side of the answer. So, God, every hand that was raised, I just ask that you would bless them. Bless them, God, to a faithfulness and a consistency that they've never seen before in their prayer life. I ask, God, that you would do something, even if there's anger, God. I pray as you've been scraping me away and making me vulnerable before you, God. I pray that you would make my brothers and sisters vulnerable before you. As I've been crying out and asking you for power, not really even knowing until this week, God, what I was really asking for. I pray that you would begin to put prayers in my brothers' and in my sisters' lives and in their hearts. That they're not even sure what they mean, but they know it's a good prayer. and They feel connected to you when they pray it. God, I just pray that you would do something in our life as a church. That we would pray like never before. Do it only you can do, Lord Jesus. Do it only you can do, Lord Jesus. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.